The Dave Berta Podcast is a proud member of the Alberta Podcast Network, locally grown, community supported. I'm Dave Cornway, and you're listening to the Dave Berta Podcast. We are recording this episode on October 22nd, 2020, and I'm joined today by our producer, Adam Rosenhart. Hey, Adam. How's it going, Dave? Good. How's it going? I, uh, you know, it's minus six out there, so uh, I'm not going to say anything bad about it, but I don't love it. Okay. Well, you know, it's minus seven up here in Northeast Alberta, or not Northeast Edmonton, pardon me, and, uh, and I'm loving it and can't wait to strap on my skis. Right on. We are thrilled to be joined today by our very special guest, uh, Edmonton Mayor Don Iveson. Welcome to the podcast, Don. Glad to be here, Dave. It's been a while. Yeah, it has been. I'm 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 thrilled that we can uh, that we were able to to get you on the pod to have a have a great chat about Edmonton and politics today. Well, and it's sunny and 21 degrees uh, at City Hall right now. Oh, that's that's everything's always sunnier under the pyramids, right? <laughs> <laughs> so where the but, Illuminati gathers, yes. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, we'll we'll talk we'll we will talk about that in just a few minutes. Um, <laughs> Don has been mayor of Edmonton since 2013. Actually, happy anniversary, I believe. It's been, uh, I think it's just, the, the date just passed of the anniversary of the 2013 election um, in October 2013. Uh, Don was a city councillor from 2007 to 2013. And before that, uh, we had the pleasure of working together at the University of Alberta Students' Union in, in uh, an era that seems like it was an absolute million years ago. And uh, in politics, you know, things pass... Uh, uh, you know, one year seems like a, an eternity. So it's it's been it's been quite a long time since then. So, you know, we've reached the point where Don is the mayor of a, a major Canadian city and and involved in the the the, the you know the heart of politics and the, the heart of decision making the city. And and uh, Adam and I host a podcast. So, <laughs> well, you we'll let the listener decide who has achieved more at this point. One but day, I too may host a podcast. So well, we can well, hope. We'll we'll see how it goes today, and and uh, and I'm sure you'll always be welcome to join us uh, join us back on the podcast here. Um, so I guess we're just going to delve right in. What what has it been like to be the mayor of a major Canadian city during COVID nineteen? <laughs> <laughs> That's a great question, you know. Um, and and thank goodness for the Federation of Canadian Municipalities and the big city mayors. And I've had the privilege of chairing that group for a little over four years now and uh, made some lifelong friends there. And so only through comparing notes with other people who are doing the same kind of work in similar contexts in similar large Canadian cities, um, you know, that's that equips me to partially answer that question, which is that it's been nuts. Um, and it's it's been really challenging. It's been fascinating and new new possibilities have opened up that we would have never thought possible about how uh, we can collaborate in a variety of different ways with the private sector, with um, other orders of government uh, within the region. Uh, you know, in a way COVID has has turned everything upside down and in ways that are, are tragic for people who've lost loved ones, um, businesses that are struggling or have closed, uh, families uh, who are facing uncertainty about their unemployment. So, so not to diminish for a minute how unprecedentedly disruptive this has been for every human being at this point pretty much but that's also uh, shown us uh, in the way that that communities and organizations and governments have been able to pivot through this that you know we're still able to pull together we're still able to pull significant things off um, in unison quickly and efficiently when there's a will to do so 
And I think, you know, even, even me, I'd started to wonder whether that was possible anymore or whether it ever was. It was just a fiction we told ourselves that we could do great things as a species or as a city or as a country or as a province. And so in a way, um, it's been really sobering. Uh, and then particularly to, to run uh, or help lead, along with many other people, uh, a major Canadian city. You know, the, the major cracks in the resilience of our cities and their fiscal vulnerabilities and our jurisdictional limitations, all of that that we've all been talking about for a long time has really been brought into the fore, at least for municipal governments um, and, and mayors in the last while. So it's, it's created an, a lot of opportunity for reflection, a lot of opportunity for coalition building, a lot of opportunity for creative problem solving, but it's also brought out um, a lot of stress and anxiety for people who are desperate for solutions, answers, certainty, a return to normalcy. And so it's been a very mixed bag, to be honest with you. Um, in some ways, it's been very invigorating. In other ways, it's been uh, as exhausting and challenging as as anything I've I've ever dealt with before professionally. So, um, but again, you know, we're, I think my big takeaway is I, I have a renewed sense of the 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 possible. And people say that politics is the art of the possible, and and we're particularly limited and forced into pragmatism at the local level for. A lot of different reasons, but I think we've seen and some of our work around uh, homelessness uh, uh, and some of the other work that we've had to pull together to pivot to the pandemic here has has shown us that the art of the possible may in fact be bigger than than we had let ourselves be limited to before. And I think that that opens up lots of interesting possibilities. I don't want to I don't want to dwell on the negative, but what are some of the cracks that you're seeing? Well, the, the big one has, has long been that, you know, cities in Canada have around eight cents of the taxing authority uh, and, and tax dollar from people. Um, but we've got, uh, you know, more than 60% of the country's public infrastructure. I mean, yes, there are frigates in the Navy and there are locks in the St. Lawrence and Seaway and, and, uh, or maybe there aren't locks. I don't know. There's a seaway or something that we all own as Canadians. Um, there's a bunch of federal infrastructure, and then there's hospitals and schools and and post secondary institutions and provincial infrastructure. But the rinks, the roads, the pipes, the sidewalks, the city halls, the libraries, the uh, all of these different things um, that really form the going concern of our of our communities, rural and urban, in this country. Uh, but especially in the cities where we have tens of billions of dollars worth of infrastructure that makes life possible, that makes the economy go, um, supports the movement of goods and people, keeps us safe, uh, you know, drinking water, stuff like that that we easily take for granted. 60% of that infrastructure and the services that are delivered by it are in the charge of the order of government with eight cents of the money. And we've got to not just maintain that infrastructure, we've got to deploy services like public transit for the public good that that cost money, fire protection, which keeps our insurance premiums down and keeps our houses from burning down, which is great, but but doesn't come cheap. Policing, which, you know, we could talk a lot about uh, policing issues and community safety and the, the trickle down effects. And certainly not just for municipalities, but for big cities, you know, when the economy softens and people come to the cities who are down on their luck and struggling or who have pre-existing mental health or substance use disorder challenges and concentrate in the big cities, you know, there are 10 or 15 
inner cities in this country that are the country's inner cities. And, um, and yet that load is primarily on Edmonton property taxpayers to police not just Edmonton metropolitan regions uh, inner city, but to some extent northern Alberta's and, and parts of northern Canada's inner city as well. And so the load on us was huge before the pandemic hit before unemployment went to double digits and before, um, you know, the, the brittleness of a property tax system, which taxes notional wealth rather than current economic activity. So if your income goes down, your income taxes go down. If you buy less, your sales tax uh, contributions go down. Uh, if, if your portfolio is down and you sell it, you have capital losses that actually reduce your taxes and offset your future capital gains obligations. So. Um, but if you have a house that's worth 400,000 bucks this year and it's worth 400,000 bucks next year, your taxes stay the same whether you lost your job or not. And that wasn't fair before this, reflecting people's or a business's ability to pay as the economy goes up and down. But now I think people are really going to struggle in future years to, to pay that. And yet hopefully they still connect the dots as most Canadians do when you survey them, that they still get fundamentally pretty good value for the, all that infrastructure and all those services that they rely on every day. One, one of the things that I, I mean, that I really noticed or I really reflected on or really impacted my family during the, during the, the beginning of the COVID pandemic, uh, and you talk about the, the services and the structure that cities provide and the city of Edmonton provides. When, I, I have a young family. We live in, in a mature neighborhood when the local playground was shut down and there was this tape around the playground when the lo our local library branch shut down when our local pool shut down because of because of covid um it really um it really made me reflect and helped me reflect on what on what a big role the municipal government plays in the day-to-day -day kind of real quality of life things that a lot of a lot of individuals a lot of families really depend on so looking at, I mean, you, you talked about the fiscal challenges facing cities, and that's, that's, as you said, that's nothing new. I feel like we've been talking about this for, for, for decades, about the, the fiscal imbalance between cities and, and the, municipal, or the provincial and federal governments. But how do you change that at this point? Because it seems like we go in circles. We talk about city charters. We talk about fair taxation for municipalities. And yet, you know, I think, I think right now we've had, you're on the eighth minister of municipal affairs since you became, since you became mayor. Um, so is it just a lack of commitment from from provincial governments in terms of not being a, a priority like how do you, how do cities get that on the radar how does change act like that actually happen is it possible well if i had a five minute answer much less a one hour one one hour answer to that um i would share it with you uh, but but it's it's you know it might be the book i write after this or something i'm not sure but because i think it is actually one of the defining competitiveness questions for this country and um, and our failure to figure this out is actually holding back not just Canadian cities, but the country as a whole, to the extent that the cities and our prosperity and safety and quality of life here and our environmental performance and all these complex factors contribute to our ability fundamentally to attract and retain talent. Because you're talking about human beings and families and their experience in community, which is critical. And so just today, uh, the Chamber, or this week, the Chamber of Commerce released their uh, their sort of economic recovery um, uh, commentary and really appreciated um, all of their statements about quality of life and infrastructure investment and those services, uh, about the need to, to work on homelessness uh, uh, more, 
more aggressively um, uh, together with all orders of government, um, recognizing those quality of life factors that are critical to talent attraction and retention and cr critical to attracting investment as well. So it all adds up to cities that people want to be in and want to invest in or don't. And um, a couple of Canadian cities have, you know, global inertia, Toronto and Vancouver and maybe Montreal. Um, and so they, they will continue to thrive um, because the globe knows who they are. But we've got all these other fantastic cities from Halifax to Edmonton to, um, to Winnipeg, to London, Ontario, uh, to, uh, to Ottawa and and quebec city that are uh, and 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 more that are phenomenal places to live that if you know the economist ranked all of them we'd all be in the top 25 places in the world to live um, but they only rank a handful of cities and and the point is that the the countries that are investing in their cities are winning in the world right now economically socially and their environmental performance um and the countries that are divided, urban and rural, and certainly you see this in the United States and these toxic uh, dynamics breaking down where there's this false dichotomy uh, between urban and rural and, and red and blue, all this polarization. You know, I, I, think, I think if we could look past that and really solve for the issue that, as Peter Mansbridge put it the other day when he was speaking to the Alberta Urban Municipalities Association conference in a keynote, he said, it's long been the case that, uh, it's long been the case that, I'm not going to do my Peter Mansbridge impersonation. Um, it's long been the case that the feds have all the money, the provinces have all the power, but all the responsibility and all the problems show up in local government's hands. And if we could solve for that, ideally as a country, but at least between provinces and cities, we'd be more competitive, we'd be more prosperous, we'd get things done more efficiently, uh, we'd be more attractive, um, we'd get better outcomes. I, I truly believe that. And, and right now, all you have to do is look at British Columbia, which is more or less following that strategy and, and eating our lunch. And so the province that figures this out first in Canada, I mean, the whole country should sit down and figure this out. But if we can't, competitively uh, speaking, the provinces that figure this out first and stick with the strategy are going to be the ones that win. And, and for a little while, Alberta was tracking in that direction with changes to the Municipal Government Act, with the city charters and the new fiscal frameworks that came in. And, um, and then we've retreated from that in, in the last while, sadly. And, and I think that's to our detriment competitively, um, because I think if we empowered cities to do more in creative ways, in partnership with the community, in partnership with private sector partners, and in, in partnership at the local government and, and metropolitan regional level, I, I honestly think we would get more things done. You know, if housing was in our hands, we'd have ended homelessness many years ago. But we need the resources to do it. And we're still in this situation where people say, well, you've been talking about ending homelessness, but why haven't you got it done? Well, I need to beg for the other 92 cents uh, to actually get it done. That And the sad thing is going to save those senior orders of government, a pile of money in healthcare and justice within their jurisdiction, within their 92 cents to do it. To say nothing of the dignity for the people who will actually not get left out in the cold in a country that knows better and can afford to do the right thing. The Dave Berta Podcast is supported in part by Alberta Forest Products. Take a listen. Alberta's forests matter to all of us. That's why Alberta's forest industry works to keep them sustainable now and for future generations. By planning 200 years ahead, 
helping control the spread of fire and disease, and planting and nurturing two trees for every one harvested, we keep our forests standing strong. To learn more about how our forests take care of us and how we take care of them, visit loveabforests.com. The Dayberta Podcast is also made possible in part by the Well-Endowed Podcast, which is created by the Edmonton Community Foundation. It's hosted by Andrew Paul and Elizabeth Bonkink, produced by Lisa Pruden, and the show explores the impact of passionate people who are working to make Edmonton a strong, vibrant city to live in. The Edmonton Community Foundation helps people create endowment funds, and the podcast tells the stories of how those endowments intersect with the community. The latest episode of the Well-Endowed podcast is called Trailheads, History of Urban Planning in Edmonton. It's the second part of a two-parter. For some reason, they're letting Julian Fade from Rapid Fire Theater host this thing. That guy is an animal in the best possible way. His two guests on this episode are former historian laureate Shirley Lowe and Edmonton city planner and planning historian Eric Backstrom. Uh, It's a great episode. you got to give it a listen. You can find the well-endowed podcast at thewellendowedpodcast.com you just search it on google or wherever pods are cast on october 10th you released a plan uh i think you called the the rap pl- the rapid plan to end homelessness um you wanted to find a solution to the crisis to homelessness and and the so the related to the um uh the associated disorder, social disorder, and economic issues around homelessness, um, especially since it's escalated since the beginning of the COVID-19 pandemic. I mean, we have uh, anybody who's driven downtown, you see Camp um, uh, Pekiwawin down near Rossdale, down near the or now down near the baseball uh, stadium. Um, that's in, that is a, an ongoing thing that a lot of Albert, a lot of Edmontonians are paying attention to and are concerned about. Um, can you tell us about your plan? What, sure. what, what, yeah, just ex- explain to our listeners, what, what are you looking for? What, what, what are you doing? Well, we've, we've had the 10 year plan to end homelessness for going on 11 years now. Um, mm-hmm. and it reaches back to a time when the government of Alberta under Ed Stelmack, who I still talk to regularly about this, um, cause he's still interested in the, in the outcomes that we're trying to achieve. Um, we all bought in, you know, a decade ago to the housing first model, um, that you can't bring people, um, to housing last at the end of their recovery from their complex circumstances, but that you need to put a roof over people's heads to help them stabilize. And, and we believe that and the evidence supports that. And we're actually really good at it here in Edmonton. So notwithstanding that 11 years have gone by, we've housed over 10,000 people over that period of time, which would have ended homelessness three times over, but for the new supply of people falling into homelessness and also which has accelerated during COVID. There's about 180 more people a month uh, falling into homelessness uh, since the beginning of the pandemic on average. Um, But uh, we've also uh, gotten the other gap has been the absence of supportive housing with wraparound services for people with complex addictions and, and mental health uh, issues who who can't just be put into a house and and be checked on um, monthly or weekly, which is all some folks need to get back on their feet if they've fallen on hard times. But for people who've been chronically homeless and have complex needs, in some cases, you need 24-7 support, which is a lot cheaper to deliver in a supportive housing scenario than at the Royal Alec Hospital or at the Remand Center, where folks wind up a disproportionate amount of the time with their their poverty 
and homelessness essentially pseudo criminalized. Uh, and so it's very, there's a much more efficient way to do this. There's a change model that every housing first jurisdiction has bought into. And so, so, um, so we need more of those supportive housing units, which we continue to advocate for. And, and the city is investing and building out of our own dollars because we believe so strongly in it and, and which the federal government is ramping up uh, housing investment in. Uh, but it, but that's still not going to get us to where we need to, um, even with shortened lead times, modular housing, and and buying hotels that are in distress right now to to open up some spaces from some surplus capacity in the marketplace. And so we knew we needed a, a rapid response even ahead of that, and that's where mobilizing what turned out ultimately to be the conference center downtown, uh, which we'd looked at previously in the spring when we were activating Expo Center. The if we needed more space, the next would have been. The conference center. So for a variety of reasons, that's the right fit for 300 uh, beds of 24-7 support. But our goal is not, you know, to operate that for the long term at all. And our, our goal is not for people to spend six months there. We want to uh, put people into bridge housing and these hotel units as they come online. Um, and, and some folks, we haven't waited to set this up. I gather there have been a couple dozen people who've already been housed out of Camp Pekawiman specifically. Um, uh, into either bridge housing or into supportive housing uh, on a more permanent basis. And so um, so uh, with the federal government stepping up to acquire units and the city putting in place with some of our uh, relief dollars, uh, this temporary pandemic accommodation for the winter, um, we bought ourselves time to work out with the province the last missing piece of the puzzle, which is these, those embedded support services for people's mental health and addictions. Now, AHS is already there on the health side because they've done the math and, and the work of one nurse embedded in supportive housing saves the work of five um, at the hospital. So it's a no-brainer fiscally. Um, and, and we're having good conversations with the province of late about embedding some of the mental health and addiction support dollars that they've prioritized into these units that we want to acquire in partnership with the feds and, and the agencies who will own and operate and deliver the services. So none of this enriches the municipality. We don't want to be in this business. We want to support the agencies and the orders of government having jurisdiction to get better results for the vulnerable people and for taxpayers. But uh, we're stepping in and to bridge this all uh, with the with the conference center in the meantime, along with the uh, important work that Mustard Seed continues to do in their expansion space. And we're also supporting Hope with some uh, civic space to allow for people to stay spread out and and reduce the risk of transmission in the, in the existing shelters who continue to be important partners in in routing people into housing first in the fullness of time. Yeah, I, I've done um, in the past, I volunteered for um, the homeless count that's that's held, I think every every two years. How homeless connect the event that home um, uh, Homer Trust uh, hosts at typically at the Edmonton Convention Center, formerly the Shaw Convention Center, every uh, every year. Um, so these organizations they do they do a lot of work and they've taken up a um, a real bulk of the responsibility of of helping and providing supports and helping the the homelessness or home pardon me helping the homeless population in Edmonton um, and helping provide services and and uh, operating as a as a conduit for government to help provide these these uh, housing first uh, housing first initiatives that that really do I mean as you said the the evidence shows it it really does work and you know helping find helping put someone in in in, in a house now um, will reduce uh, the costs of of not helping them further further down the line not not providing them with those supports further down the line I mean I, I guess my question is is 
what make what makes what make what would you say that would make me think that this would have a different outcome in the end than the pre all the other previous plans to end homelessness? I'm supportive of this, but I I, I am a little cynical about because we do hear this, you know, every every few years that you know they're revamping the plan to end homelessness. You talked about Ed Stelmack, and I do think this the the ten year plan to end homelessness was really one of the, uh, Ed Stelmack's big accomplishments that he deserves a lot of credit for, and I think history in Alberta will remember him for that, um, because it is it is it was a very ambitious initiative, even it didn't if it didn't actually accomplish uh, ending homelessness for reasons of population growth and and uh, the booming economy of the time. But but what, what are are you optimistic that this will be different? In the in the end, yes, I am, um, and I've always been optimistic that we can do this. It's been a, a lack of will, not a lack of capacity, um, and sustained will to do this will very quickly achieve the results. I, I truly believe that, um, and we will not end houselessness next week. But anybody who wishes to be out of the cold and no longer sleeping rough will have a safe, physically distanced place to do that with um, wraparound, culturally safe addictions and mental health support services, referral to other services, including more permanent and appropriate stable housing for people, employment, uh, addictions treatment, um, all of those other services that you need to get people kind of stable. And, and ideally you do that in a more permanent dwelling unit, but we're gonna do it in the meantime at the conference center because that's what's within our resources and capacity till we can get these hotel units online. But but what, what gives me some hope is that uh, I think the math of this is self-evident. I think our, our business community has long seen the logic behind it, but now sees an imperative around it uh, with respect to social disorder uh, uh, in the downtown, which which we're in increasingly hearing, you know, is a threat to the all the work that we've done uh, to turn around the downtown of this city. And, and and represents a risk to its investability. Now that's that's a uh, a very sort of investment focused take on it, but I think there are folks in the business community who have sway with the provincial government who understand compassionately it's the right thing to do, understand fiscally and public policy wise it's the right thing to do, and understand from uh, dealing with social disorder, which is compromising Main Street at a time when our Main Street businesses are in a very fragile state, that it's also the right thing to do. And so I agree with all of those rationales. And I think that there's plenty of cause for the for the provincial government to take this up. And, and we're trying to make this as straightforward as possible. But it's not just us, you know, there is it's not just Edmonton as an outlier. And you get those narratives about Edmonton off on its own or the big cities off on their own. But I was just talking to you know, we we co-sponsored a, a resolution around this with the mayor of Grand Prairie, um, where they've got issues. Um, uh, you know, I talked to Chris Spearman in Lethbridge, where they have huge social disorder issues that they're trying to get out ahead of, and and there's new permanent supportive housing being built there. Another one was just opened in Red Deer, so this is an Alberta-wide um, inner city problem, and we have many inner cities, including in the mid-sized cities. So I think that I think that the logic here makes sense. The fiscal makes sense. It's very business friendly. The alliances are growing. The chamber included it in their most recent submission, uh, which we really appreciate alignment with them on that and a variety of other things we're working on with the business community. And and then and then if all that isn't there, I mean, the federal government went from saying, you know, we'd like to bring homelessness down by half, which was sort of the place where you start if you're not sure you can get all the way. Um, but we've shown that you can bring it down by more than half using these techniques, and we've we've shown. 
uh, and, and other cities have shown that you can get to zero if you put the resources in and what the benefits will be. And, and so we were able to persuade the federal government and, and the big city mayors did a lot of work on this in particular, not only to announce an extra one point to almost 1.3 billion for rapid housing initiatives a couple of weeks ago, but also in the throne speech to say, we're gonna end chronic homelessness in this country. Sorry, that uh, it's, uh, I'm still moved by that because that is a national level commitment we can't go back from. So mm -hmm. we have moved the dial and moved the expectations on this. And I think that's because at the end of the day, all the other, all the other issues aside, I don't think Canadians can bear to see that we are leaving other Canadians behind. And that to the extent that our Indigenous community is overrepresented, our veterans are overrepresented, and, and newcomers uh, uh, who've had traumatic experiences uh, that led them to flee wherever they were to come to this country for opportunity, that we're leaving all those people behind still. That's contrary to the values of this country, contrary to what we say uh, we stand for. And so I think the time has come to get it done. Well, I, I really hope you're right, um, and I, I, I think because <laughs> <Me too. laughs> because I, I do think there there you know we are at a real uh, I don't know if the term inflection point is a uh, is is the right term, but but there's there's so much that's changed over the past seven eight and eight, eight months, and um, it's really um, put a spotlight on what governments and and what we can accomplish as government and as as community uh in this in this city and in and in this country i mean when when you look at what what the provincial i mean municipal provincial and federal governments have done over the past uh 8 months uh in terms of supporting canadians through i mean federally i'm thinking serb i'm thinking all, all the all these different programs that you know t just only a few years ago you know politicians would have been on the federal level would have told you that that the kind of stuff never could have happened. It just what wasn't possible. Well, you know what, when, when, uh, when push comes to shove, actually things, things government had does have the power to get things done. Well, I, I, I agree with you. And I do think that that's the moment that's before us. And despite all of the tension and anxiety and, and increasing polarization in public life and whatever's leaking into here from not just the United States, but, but other places that really this pandemic is, you know, a generation defining opportunity for us as communities at the, at the civic level and at the, at the, at the countrywide level to determine like, is this one we turn on each other or is this one we turn towards each other and, and recognize that we're stronger when we act together. And I think a public health emergency brings that into sharp relief. And, and this, the, the story appears to be, you know, this, just like with climate change, just like with all kinds of other things that there's this debate between um, two sides when in fact, you know, you've got a very broad public consensus of people doing the right thing. 97% of Edmontonians wearing their masks to protect each other and themselves. So people want to do the right thing. And it's like when the Joker's hanging upside down at the end of the dark night, like people are good. People are good. Right. You know, I, I believe in that. I really do. I still do. So one, one of the players that will need to come on board and you, and you mentioned this is the provincial government. Now, the the nature of the relationship between the mayor of Edmonton and the premier of Alberta or the, the city of Edmonton and the, and the provincial government, it's always hot and cold, it seems. Um, you know, there, there are moments of tension. There are moments of where, where you can really work together. How would you describe the relationship between the city of Edmonton and the province of Alberta right now? 
Well, if it were a Facebook comp, uh, uh, Facebook status, it would be it's complicated, but it always <laughs> is to your point, right? I mean, being the capital city, um, but uh, but it, it should be complicated. Um, and uh, but I think the expectation should be that we are working together to solve problems together in job creation and the economy, which we're working with our lockstep with our neighbors in the region on a variety of different things to try to help improve the investment climate, cut red tape at the regional scale. Um, and so we do have aligned priorities there and, and I've had great conversations with Minister Schweitzer um, uh, who, uh, who's leading on this file about what we're trying to do and how we're trying to help the hydrogen economy, which we're uh, uh, championing the opportunities for the city to be a, um, a center of innovation around that as well as part of the energy transition, the relevance for our products going into the future. So I think you, you focus on where you have areas of common ground. Um, uh, artificial intelligence, machine learning, the health and bio space. You know, we just, uh, uh, um, Dr. Michael Houghton just picked up uh, a Nobel Prize in virology. Very, very timely for, albeit a different set of viruses, but but there are, uh, you know, growing that bioeconomy uh, along with Health City and and some of the other initiatives that we have with the post-secondary institutions here. Again, we we hear loud and clear that their highest priority is job creation, investment attraction, and that's a key priority for us too. You know, in our city strategic plan, we have four goals, and that's that's key among them. Uh, so I think you start there, and and working with the Minister of Municipal Affairs too um, uh, on, to help her see how supporting Edmonton Metro to work together effectively and collaborate so that it, you don't have winners and losers so much, but you have a, an overall winning proposition at the regional scale here, because it'd be very easy to play us off against each other, which has happened in the past, but that's going to actually, uh, that might be fun or it might be good politics, but it's not actually going to advance the uh, job creation and investment attraction goals that are the first priority that we we share around the economy. So I think you find those those opportunities to uh, to work together and you try to be constructive to continue to make the case where you haven't quite landed it, which is is a continuing conversation around um, around the supportive housing, for example. But I think, you know, in that case, we've listened very carefully to what the government's priorities are around uh, uh, treatment and uh, uh, addictions recovery. And um, our goal for the supportive housing for people with addictions challenges would also be for them to get treatment and achieve recovery. And, uh, you know, some of the stories from uh, from some of the supportive housing uh, that already exists here, of uh, the stories of recovery that people have achieved and how some of those people go on to be uh, workers and therapists and support folks um, uh, in the addictions recovery journey are the very kind of inspiration that I think the government is also drawing on, um, you know, anecdotally and, and, you know, in terms of the resiliency of the human spirit of what we all want to see. We don't want to just warehouse people in uh, out of the public eye to reduce their impact uh, or likelihood of going to jail or going to the emergency room. I mean, that's a case to be made for, but we want people to thrive. And so that's where our goals around recovery and support for people are actually really well aligned. We simply want to create the spaces where the government's initiatives around addictions and mental health can be most successful to help uh, help transform people's lives uh, and stabilize them into recovery and, and return to communicate uh, uh, participation in community life. So you, you find the ways to work together where you can. Um, and, uh, and, and it's ever been thus and it ever shall be. Though I would, I would say again, there are still lots of opportunities 
um, for cities to do more uh, and for the metropolitan regions to lead more and um, and and to devolve responsibilities and opportunities because uh, I think local governments can be more nimble and more efficient and so I would hope that we'll be able to get to that place and get to that conversation uh, with any provincial government. We'll continue to push for that consistent with what we were talking about at the beginning. So sh shifting gears a bit, we're about a year out from the 2021 municipal election campaigns. And oh, you don't say. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so I'll, there's, there's a lot of speculation about uh, who's going to be running uh, next, next October. And a lot of people have been asking me about, uh, you know, is Don running again? Is Don running again? So I, I honestly say I don't know because I haven't asked you. So I'm going to ask you now because I have you on my, on my podcast. Uh, can you still won't know after asking the question. Okay, well, can, can Edmontonians <laughs> expect to have you on the ballot? So I'm still collecting a couple of data points before I finalize my decision on that. But I'll have more to say about that soon. But really, I mean, I think my my main focus right now, uh, as it's always been, you know, this far out from an election has been, uh, uh, leading and governing, and and we've never needed focus on on the matters before us uh, more than we need them now. I mean, it's going to be the hardest budget. We keep saying it's been the hardest budget in you know a generation or whatever, and this one's really going to be because we're going to try to do second year in a row of zero percent taxes for business, and and it was a small increase for residential this year, but we're going to try for zero for everybody, and that's not going to come without a lot of pain and tough decisions. And so between that and public health. Uh, and and some of the important work that, that we're carrying on with, that's really where my focus is. And I think that's what Edmontonians expect. The electioneering that we're seeing happening this early, I think, does a disservice to uh, uh, to the community at a time where we really need to be focused on on the work. Okay, well, well, when you do make your decision uh, public, we'd, uh, we'd love to have you back on the podcast to, uh, to talk about it I, I, either way and, uh, and talk about a lot of the challenges uh, to, to municipalities, for municipalities and for the city of Edmonton that we talked about today. Now, I, I, I recognize that your, your time is limited, that uh, your, uh, uh, your staff are probably wanting to move you on to your next meeting, but we have one crucial question to ask you before we go. Okay. Have you had time to watch the new, uh, any of the new Star Trek shows? We, I know you're. I know you're a big Star Trek fan, uh, and there, there are more decks. Two, is two the Star best Trek. thing to happen to Star Trek in I don't know how long. I, but and here's the best part: my kids love it. So, um, so it's been a really lovely family thing for all of us to get together and and watch it. And there's sort of there's something funny for everybody. So yeah, I'm I'm definitely. Like we've watched all of the episodes more than once, and the kids just like will watch it themselves. And this after Dexter discovered. Um, uh, uh, the animated show during the depths of COVID when he was desperate for something to do, he started watching like the original animated uh, Star Trek show from the seventies. And so oh, kind of come full circle, but, um, but yeah, no, I'm, I'm loving it. It's so irreverent. Um, uh, it's great. Yeah. It's a lovely I, I, diversion from otherwise, you know, heady times. Yeah, yeah. I, I, absolutely. I totally agree. Lordex is great. I love how they just so subtly drop all these Star Trek Easter eggs without like really disrupt. It's not like forced in. It's just like it flows with it. It's 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 very it's 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 great for uh, yeah. it's it's great. Best line was Wolf three five nine was an inside joke. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that just went by so fast. Yeah, it was so yeah. good. Oh, that's great. Oh well, that that's great. Well, I'm glad to hear that. Um, uh, yeah. Star Trek Lordex, check it out uh, on uh, on uh, on uh, what is what is it on on Crave? Crave, yeah, yeah. Crave. yeah. yeah. I haven't watched Discovery season three yet. I haven't had time. 
Okay. Well, I watched the first episode. We'll have a review on our next uh, our next podcast. Okay. That'll be the podcast. Yeah. yeah. We start. So, <laughs> so that that's it for this episode. Uh, a huge thank you and uh, uh, appreciation to his worship, Mayor Don Iveson, for joining us. Well, he him. actually worships the mayor, so... <laughs> It's just, <laughs> sad to say. Is it on your business card, his worship? Or? I don't think so. Okay, okay. No, at least in the States, you get to be honorable. Okay. And in, in some parts of the of Europe, you get to be the Lord, the Lord Mayor, which well, it, I would much prefer. But if, if you were in the United States, you'd get, get to keep the title for life, too. Um, yeah, yeah, no one worships you after you're done being mayor, either, I gather. <laughs> well, well we're, you're always welcome to come back on this plot anytime. Look um, forward to Follow Don on, on Twitter at, at Don Iveson. Check out his website at uh, donivison.ca. Thanks again to our producer, Adam Rosenhart, for making this podcast sound so good. The Dave Berta Podcast is a proud member of the Alberta Podcast, Net podcast Network, locally grown, community supported. Send us your feedback on Twitter or Instagram at, at Dave Berta or on the Dave Berta Facebook page, or you can email us at podcast at daveberta.ca. If you like this show, please leave a review, send it to your friends. You're work colleagues on Zoom, you know, we, uh, we, we love that you listen. Thanks so much. Bye.